expanding the conversation beyond the weight room and the track, involving all of the professions that are critical to high-level physical performance. Performance Talk with Yule and Chris is where professionals come together to discuss everything that is related to performance from multiple perspectives. Listen as we join hosts Yule Gordon, Chris Costa, and their guest and hear what is going on in the world of performance. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Performance Talk. My name is Yule Gordon, and my partner back at it again is Mr. Chris Costa. Good to be back, Chris. Know you were a little under the weather last week, so we tried to hold it down, but much rather do this with you than without you. How you doing? Thanks for the uh, re-welcoming. Yeah, I actually have a voice again now, so we're, uh, we're back on track here. Hope you didn't miss me too much. I definitely missed you, and hope everybody enjoys that show when it pops out. I'm sure you did a fantastic job. Today's guest is Marco Cantolinas out of good old Italia. Marco, how are you doing today? Hi, guys. I, I'm honored to be here for good. I hope we will enjoy this chat. So Marco has uh, previously worked with Liverpool, Liverpool soccer, that is, and currently is working with Napoli Femminile, which is basically the women's first team in Napoli. Tell us a little bit about your role there. I know you're a physical performance coach. Yeah, to say, unfortunately, I, I'm not there anymore because a few weeks ago, there was a change of staff. So there was a new head coach and the new one brought, obviously, his staff. But it was still a good experience. I joined the club last summer. It wasn't like an easy mission because we didn't have, let's say, a really good organization. It was like a, a very small club, even if the name is very big. So we need to to do a lot of change at the beginning to organize the, the pre-season. It was tough, but it was really enjoyable and challenging. So I really liked that. And then we, we started the season. The start was not easy because we played against bigger teams. So we didn't start in a good way, but we were improving. It was good. But then at some point, obviously, the club was not happy anymore with the, with the results. So they chose to change stuff. I still love it. The nature of the beast in our profession is, is we go by way of general staff moves uh, across the board. Uh, a lot of times you come in, a, a coach or administration has brought you in professionally and you feel like you're doing a, a good job, and I know you were, but the, the new administration and the new coach, they just kind of want to do it the way they want to do it, which is, again, the nature of our beast a little bit. Tell us about your journey into strength and conditioning and how you your kind of approach right now to getting better getting jobs etc yeah so i start this journey let's say when i still was uh, i mean i was still competing in sport i was a swimmer but i at some point i realized i was not good enough to make to the pro level but i still wanted to be part of it that's why i decided to, to join the other side and become a same christian coach I had, even if I'm young, I think I had very good experience in which I, I faced different culture, different people. So it was like a challenge uh, every day, every year, every season. I could meet different people, met also like different training methodologies, which I think really helped to develop my, my coaching style. In terms of how I see strength conditioning, obviously depends on the sport. If we talk about team sports where they are like, what I call situation sports, where you have to make decisions. I think we're not the main part because obviously 
the taking a tactical part is the most important. We're just there to give players some tools to, to express themselves in the pitch in the best way possible. So what I like to do is just to give them the possibility to enhance their strength, power, speed, obviously to be available uh, as much as possible to help the team the win, which is the most important thing by the end of the day. Seems to me that across cultures, regardless of of what level you're at, the, the role of a strength and conditioning or performance coach is to be a value-added proposition to the team, the coach, and the athlete. So what I think you just said was technically and tactically, there is a, a coach for that. Yeah. And then there's a coach to get them, get them ready to be technically and technically proficient from a physical level. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. So the physical, the physical side of that is where we come in and, and we can help the team or, and or the athlete or organization. So talk to me about you have done some things in, uh, in the field in the U.S. and some things, of course, in your native country, Italy. So talk to us about some of the differences and some of the adjustments you had to make or were they really very big? Was it just strength conditioning is, is the same no matter where you go? Or was it different? No, no, not at all. I think I am very lucky that I could experience two very different environments. The UK and US ones, where I continue my education. The Italian one, where everything started. So I have to say, if we talk about the US, UK, the goal there is try to just, as I said before, give these players the physical tools to express themselves in the pitch. So there's a lot of focus on improving strength, power, speed. And most of the times I can see that coaches just aim to bring these outputs up. That's all just the one. Whereas I think in Italy, there is more like a philosophy where training must be functional. This is how they, they call it. So... For example, in soccer, they would say, I never see a player carrying heavy loads on the pitch, so why would do that? And somehow it might make sense, but I think it's it just not the big picture, let's say. What they're trying to say is that we just want to try to perform the same movement that they do on the pitch and maybe try to overload them a bit because we should that in this way there's going to be a transfer to the specific sports performance. And I think they, they might be right somehow but i think they also missing uh, some important things which is like filling the gaps left by sporting practice which is the probably what they usually do in uk us uh, uh, i really i mean i totally agree with that because i think that the worst thing you can done to your athletes is to let them uh, experience monotony and a lack of variation training because we know that it probably leads to a greater risk of injury so if you can give them something that they're not experiencing the sport practice, then you you can justify why you're there because otherwise you'll be just like a head coach or technical coach. So I experienced these two different cultures and I'm trying to, to bridge them because I think both of them have values, but I think the truth is in the middle. So obviously it's not about just increasing their physical outputs, but also to make sure that there is a transfer to the performance. We know that it's very it's very hard today to measure the extent to this transfer. That's why sometimes we don't know where to go. But I think this is where it will go in the future. So if we will find a way to measure the transfer of what we do, 
then obviously we will know why we're doing something. Let's hold that thought for a second. We talk about transfer. I will say from my perspective only, not every professional will tell you this, but the U.S. is getting better at understanding that I'll use speed for an example. There is not different speed for different sports. You don't develop speed differently for different sports. For example, because you use soccer, you don't get faster with the ball by just having the ball at your feet. Having the ball at your feet is a skill that once developed, if you want to continue to develop speed, explosion, change of direction, you have to work those components of those things without the ball, then reintroduce the ball. For example, if I keep getting pushed off the ball as a soccer player or off the puck as a hockey player, then I have a strength issue or I'm going to say that for right now. So if I want to get stronger, am I just going to keep dribbling the ball in traffic and, you know, uh, taking the puck through traffic? Well, if I'm not doing anything to address the strength as a strength conditioning coach, then, then we're not winning. And that doesn't mean just on the pitch. You have to come off the pitch, take the tool of the sport away from you sometimes in order to develop physically the attributes you want with the tool of the sport. That's a long way to go to say the U.S. has not always been good at that. You know, we just need to play more baseball. Well, he's got four tools, but you want him to be faster. So don't just have him keep running bases, right? Yeah, I totally agree with you because I think like the physical qualities underpinning a sporting performance, generally the same between sports. So Obviously, the way you sprint in football, in soccer, is not different from football or uh, just sprinting. I mean, there are, like, in my opinion, uh, small differences, but it's when we talk about really high-level athletes. For example, we know that if you're just sprinting, uh, let's say you have to make a 40-meter dash, okay? You just have to run. You don't need to care about anything else. You, you start and then you know where you will be finished. Whereas in a sports like soccer, you need to be careful and mindful of also what happens on the pitch while you're running. So probably the, the biomechanics, let's say, of running still the same, but the coordination, I think, might be different because your brain is processing way more information than just focusing Absolutely. on running. So that's why maybe something more specific might help in that direction and might be more transferable, let's say, in the sports performance? Oh, see, yeah, I, I agree completely with that. Once, once you introduce the sports, the techniques and tactics of the sport, then, yeah, certain things become important. But for just the raw movement or, or the raw, you know, execution of how of the biomechanical process, to get better at that, there's some specific things you have to do. If you want to get faster, there's some specific things you have to do. Just pure linear speed. Movement, same way. Agility, same way. Movement and agility aren't the same thing. Agility is the ability to change directions, yada, yada, yada. Movement is, I could go through that whole process, but I think I say that once, once every time we, we do it. But movement from an athlete perspective is the ability to go from point A to point B with the, the proper hip level, with power balance and coordination, and still execute a sports skill or technique. 
that's where I think you're you're correct when you say once you introduce the sport, then that's when things start to change. And that's when it goes from us as professionals over to the technical and tactical coaches. And that bridge is where I think we probably need some work, how that transfers and when to transfer it, who gets to make the call. I think that needs work across uh, not just in the U.S. and not just in in Europe, but probably uh, across the world, in the, the sporting world. And that's that's what we're here for, to help out with, with a lot of that. Talking about your career still, we want to stay with uh, your career. Where do you see yourself going and where would you like to go in the uh, – immediate future and, and what's your overall viewpoint way out there by the time you get to be old like me where do you want to be in in strength and conditioning okay that's a tough question because if i thought about that five years ago i would never imagine that i would do what i've done in my career so i'm not very good at looking at the long term <laughs> but i just want to say that when i was uh, young when i started this journey I just wanted to, you know, to reach the high level possible, to work in the best team possible ever, in soccer, hopefully. And actually, I mean, it's still my my life goal. But after some experience in the professional clubs, I I realized that if you really love training and helping other people to improve, you that there, there's a lot of constraints. Most in a professional club, you it's very hard uh, to always uh, train and try to improve player because there are lots of, I don't want to call them problems, but more like constraints. So for example, lots of fixtures, so lots of games uh, you uh, you can train, or maybe right. the, that coach doesn't like your training philosophy, so you need to arrange it. So I just want to say that that's still my dream to, to work in the level possible and hopefully in the US because that's my my personal dream, but I also realized that I want to help as many artists as possible to get better and uh, fulfill their dream. So maybe I see myself like having my own facility where everybody can just come uh, and train, you know, something like this. Okay. That's a goal that, you know, a lot of young professionals, at least here in the U.S. that I've talked to, they don't always talk about having their own facility and, and doing that. That's a tough one. I've I've done that for a lifetime. I've worked alongside of sporting organizations, owned a sporting organization and those kind of things, but never was employed by a sporting organization or institution like that. So I always had some flexibility. And, and the most times that uh, when I was called in, it was for, you know, a specific time frame or a specific issue or to work with someone that that met my unique skill set. I don't know how it is, and you can speak to that when I clam up here. I know in the U.S., you have to be really diligent if you're going to do a private practice because it can get taken several different ways and it can come about several different ways. So for me, I always stuck with the approaches that I knew worked. Uh, and I stayed within my lane, understanding that, okay, I might understand the sport, but I am not a technical or tactical coach. So I don't want to mold. I don't want to say, hey, I'm going to do soccer strength and conditioning, or I'm going to do, 
you know, just football strength conditioning because you limit yourself. I'll do all sports. I specialize in field and court sports, but have had, you know, board sports, water sports, et cetera. So I guess what I'm saying with that is, you know, with your look into the future, just keep an open mind. Just keep it wide open. I've had the the good fortune to be able to get the trust of different sports organizations and professional teams, colleges, high schools, earn the trust. Therefore, they've let me in and I've been in and out. I, I don't do so much with those type of organizations now, but when I was a little younger, I, I used to. So keeping in mind what you uh, previously said, go ahead, about what you want to do in the future. Okay. Yeah. So I want to try to help as many as possible, as you say correctly, not just soccer players, because uh, I mean, I would be obviously limited to the number of people I can actually help. So I want to be more like open to different sports. I actually that's another one of my goals. So not just to work in soccer as I, I've done for, for most of my whole careers, but also want to try to challenge myself in different sports and, and to learn from them because I think that there is a lot we don't know. We are where, well, when we stay in a, just one environment, I think we're close to that environment. But if we can experience uh, different uh, challenges, different physical demands of a particular sports, then I think we can integrate a lot of them. And, and this probably will help me to, to help different, uh, different people, different players from other sports. So if you have a general idea of how sports, uh, let's say, is built, uh, what are the physical demands, and how they transfer from one sport to the other, then I think you're ready to help everybody uh, because I want to help as many people as possible. I mean, that's the journey I need to take on. I think, uh, you know, for our, our listeners, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're saying uh, you want to and can work with any athlete that's out there, equestrian athlete, shooting sport athletes, you know, as long as you know the requirement, the physical demands and the requirements of the sport. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then once you know that, the needs of the individual, the needs of the individual, and then comes the desires of the individual. I know a lot of times I used to, when I was younger, first thing that American football players would come to me and ask for was, Hey coach, I want to get I want to get stronger and faster and bigger. Okay, wait a minute. I started asking questions like, okay, what position do you play? What sport do you play? What position do you play? What are the requirements of those things? You know, if you're a football player and you're a receiver, your requirements are different than if you're an offensive tackle, an American football player. So the requirements of the sport, then the needs of the individual. If if I'm a a six foot six, three hundred and forty pound offensive tackle. The way the game is played today, you might want to be three twenty instead of three forty. The game's a little faster; it's played a little differently. You don't want to be tiny, but you you want to going to be maybe sacrifice a little bit of the just overall you know work in strength and 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 gaining muscle and weight. And, and get some movement stuff in and, and some, some other kind of, of training done so that you can play the game today and not play it like you used to. 
that makes any sense. So you're always, in other words, you're always thinking the requirements of the sport, the needs of the individual, and then finally the, the desires of the individual. And, and when the individual says, well, why are my desires third? Well, they're not. You're right, Bruce. I think like the first thing you need to do is to understand your client's goals because, and also like to help them uh, decide what are their goals. Because, you know, when you're just um, a player, uh, an athlete, uh, you don't have like um, a lot of experience in the sport, maybe because you're still young. Actually, you don't know what you're aiming for. In that case, you need a coach to understand you how actually you what actually you can do to improve your games. So if you had then like general knowledge of the sports, but also you, you're very good at listening to, to, your, cli to your client or, or these artists and understand how you could help them, then it would be much easier, obviously, to, to do that. Other guests have called what you just described, uh, soft skills, being able to listen, being able to communicate. And then uh, the, the, as you work through your skill set, the harder skills are... Um, or the more solid skills that you can quantify are, you know, the ability to develop different types of programs and, and institute different types of plans and follow multiple approaches. I've always said about this profession, there's more than one right way to get an athlete where they want to be. And, and there's more than one right approach, but there's really only one direction. And that's the, the to move towards the betterment of the individual athlete as a person in performance. If we do that, then if we're in, if we take care of the, the, the athlete on an individual basis, we're going to take care of teams. Teams get taken care of when athletes are taken care of. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I'm with you because we know that a team is composed by different athletes. So, I mean, you can just like working generally on how to improve the team but you need to take account of all the components of the team because let's say you can improve every athlete of, uh, I don't know, 1%, and then obviously there are 20 athletes in the team, then the team may improve by 20%, which is massive. We think that we just improve every athlete by a very tiny amount. So obviously, it's, uh, as you said, you need to take into account these individual differences that, that there are. And even when we think about it's not just the... The position you play in because if like the biomechanics of the individual of two individual playing on the same position is very different then obviously they can train the same so that's where we need to be very good at understanding and assess what we are what we have in front of us and then to decide the best way to help them because as you said again like there you know that there is just one direction but there are lots of different starting points if you understand what is the starting points then you find a way to get to the direction you want. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Not everybody, even when we're all professionals, we don't all start at the same point. We know younger athletes all come in to athletics on a different scale. You know, I've seen athletes that were superstars in in peewee league and 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 maybe even in the junior high, and then then when they come into high school, it's a different story. And it's not it's not bad on them. It's just the, the change, the developmental uh, process, the developmental speed of, of some kids is slower. Some of it's faster. Some kids max out earlier than, than other kids. But what you find for most is, is that, you know, there's a pretty even flow that you can follow for an athlete's development from 
let's just say, you know, the teeny tinies all the way through, you know, professionals. And they're not always going to be the kid that was the superstar in peewee league is now the kid that's a superstar in college or in the pros or on the national team. It doesn't always work that way. In fact, I'd say it works less that way than than most of us really believe. Okay, so we talk about the needs of the sports and or the, the requirements of the sport, the needs of the individual and the desires of the individual, cultural differences and, and things like that. Those are all really important uh, steps to take in, in strength and conditioning, uh, performance, et cetera. Uh, in your young career, because I'm, I'm assuming – I'm making an assumption, so you can tell me if I'm wrong, but in your young career, tell me where you think the profession is doing a great job and when it could do better. We can always do better. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. But from your perspective, what do you think? Okay. Well, they're doing a good job. I think by time we we trying to understand, like, how can we really improve athletes? I think like if we think how practitioners used to train athletes uh, 15, 10 years ago is completely different from from how they're doing now because I think now with lots of technologies, we have a, a larger understanding of uh, of the sports, of the requirement, the, the load exposed, the athletes are exposed to. So, I mean, our decision now are best informed thanks to technology. So that's the the good thing. I think we what we can improve is the way we we coach in youth sports because what I I've seen, what I experienced in, in my career is that we spend lots of money on talent identification, but then we we are not able to distinguish between performance and potential. And I mean, performance is the current level of performance of these young kids, and the potential is what they they will be able to do, which obviously is unpredictable. But if you can understand the kids who are more potential than than the other, why we're just assessing uh, the performance and not looking uh, at the potential, you know? So I think we could do better in, in this because what I've seen that mostly, as I told you, in the youth teams. If you are early mature, obviously you're more likely to get in the pro sports, but it doesn't mean that by by the day that you will join the pro sports that you will be better than uh, late mature. So I think we need to take this into account to understand how, how growth works uh, and do something about it because I think we're wasting lots of talent this way. You know, I agree with you. Um, and, and something you mentioned just a few minutes ago that uh... – I'm going to let uh, Chris have a little bit of a, a lead in on. He talked about the the new technologies and the information that we're getting from the new technologies uh, along with uh, the data and how that affects practice and how practice affects research in the field and how research informs practice in the field. Was that too much? You want to break it down? No, no, no. I'm good with that. Um, I'll tell you by my experience. For example, if we if we talk about soccer, let's say before the advent of GPS, I mean we didn't know actually what the players were were doing on the pitch. Now we know the exposure of uh, sprinting distance of high speeds, how many times they accelerating, decelerating, how many times they change direction, 
how many minutes they just rest or how many minutes they are of really intensity. So, I mean, now we know almost everything they do on the pitch. So we know how can we almost perfectly, let's say, prepare them for the demands of the game. Uh, and we couldn't do that before. So that's why technology is so important. It's massive help for us. Okay, and your approach to technology is? I know you just explained how we use technology and what's, what it's out there, but specifically for you, let's, let's talk about uh, you get some data on an athlete saying he's, he's running this much during the course of practice from the GPS. How do you use that? Yeah, so I try to collect as many data as possible about each individual because I, I don't see that. Uh, I mean, the, probably the mistake we make lots of times that we just take into account one single episode. So let's say I join a new team. I I just start collecting some of the data. We maybe we play a friendly game, and then I use them as a reference point throughout all the season. But I think before to really get to know a player, we need to really understand what he's actually doing uh, on the pitch uh, because the game is so is so violent. I mean, lots of things can happen. You need to collect lots of data. So I I try to collect as many data as possible and then try to identify my KPIs and work on that. So if I have, for example, uh, let's say a winger uh, uh, talking about soccer and I know what he does during the game is to sprint a lot. So I try to recreate this scenario in my training, try to overload that to make him ready to, to do that on the game. And for example, if I don't know, there are a couple of games where I can see that he's not achieving that uh, as he was used to do. Then I start, I start asking myself, what's happening? Like, is that a physical problem? Is that a technical or tactical problem? So then there is a discussion, obviously, with the te- technical and tactical side, because I don't just believe that physical side can explain everything, but we need to merge all the components of the game. And that's the only way then to find a solution for every problem because, I mean, we're there to solve problems. So we need to work together as a team to try to work them out. I feel like there's a whole lot we could we could get into when we start talking about data collection and the use of data and who needs the data and why they need it and, and what they need to do with it. I am on the side of enough data, but not too much because too much data you know, who needs it? What does the athlete need? What does the athlete need to know? And what do you need to know to help the athlete? And does everything you need to know or would like to know, is that important to the athlete? Does the athlete need to know that? What we want to do is try to keep them as free of of getting bogged down as possible. We know that, you know, that runs into the the other parts of, of sports, which are the um, the mental side and the psychological side. And and those kind of things. But, you know, we um, when we talk about gathering data, analyzing data, and then using data, we, that's three different things. And we got we to gotta be involved in all of those. But does the athlete need to be involved in all those? So we have to gather it. We have to analyze it. We have to use it. But then there's a, there's a use portion of that, that that comes into effect for the athletes. So... Where do you feel the athlete needs the most data? Yeah, so that's a very interesting topic because, for example, 
in my last experience, this is what I was trying to do. So uh, make the athletes uh, aware of what they what they were doing on the pitch and what they needed to improve. But then you need to be very careful because you don't want to overload these athletes of lots of information because obviously they don't have the background you have uh, on the technology. So you need to... It's like when you coach an artist, you just need one cue that is working for them. It's the same with technology. So you need to find one single thing that they can focus on because we know that the brain can focus just mostly on one thing. So we need to find what's actually matter for these athletes and, and make them understand how can they improve that. Because sometimes, obviously, you're there to train there as something that you can do together. But if they are aware of their goal, then they can work on on themselves or on it. So they're not just improving when they train with you, but also maybe when they change club or throughout their career. So that's very important to me. And I, I really always want to make these artists aware of that. So I try, for example, after every game, to have a, a chat with every athlete individually and understand with them, like, what happened during the pitch, what they could do better in my opinion, and, but mostly like listen to themselves and why they did something, because we know that in team sports, it's not just physical, they make decisions every time, and maybe we thought they they didn't do something because they weren't uh, fit enough, maybe, maybe they made a decision about that. So when you inform an athlete, it's very important that before you listen to them, uh, so it, this is the only way that you you can answer your question, you know. There needs to be a symbiosis between information that the performance team needs to know with something that interests the athlete, because you'll get the most buy-in when it's something that the athlete is hooked or connected to, and it makes the measurement. It while it's still objective, it makes it a little bit more meaningful. I think simply because you're going to get more out of the athlete than say a simplized metric of just total distance traveled. I don't see many athletes getting attached to how many miles that I run in a game, but if you tell them peak acceleration, you know, that might translate to them focusing on trying to have optimal accelerations. And then you can use that particular metric to try to, to, persuade them into having these accelerations at ideal or optimal times, meaning our end goal is to get them to focus on the most viable times when they can utilize a high velocity acceleration to separate themselves from an opponent, to separate the ball from an opponent, so on and so forth. I was just thinking that, I mean, well, what you said is true because they just sometimes, you know, they just want to know how they can get better. So you need to understand what they actually want to know. And for example, the mistake I've done in my career sometimes that I wanted to explain everything uh, around uh, around their performance uh, to them. Obviously, they, they couldn't understand because they were overloaded by lots of information. So I think before the others, you need to think about the, the person, uh, how can you help them? Because sometimes it, it might happen that you have a, an athlete which when you tell them, hey, look, like your your performance today was not that good, or maybe we test his printing, uh, he achieved the lowest uh, output uh, around the team. So 
that's about also soft skill that uh, you need to you think how you you're going to communicate that to the others how this will affect their performance and, and their training so it's not just uh, giving data to to others but also understand what's the best way the best time to to do it that gets down and gets back to uh learning every athlete and understanding that you're going to have multiple ways to queue and you might have multiple cues for one organization because if you're trying to communicate as the performance guy to each athlete there's team cues and then there's those individual cues that you know working with one athlete from your training he understands and getting people to understand the use of data and the reason for data and, and, and when I say people, I'm not necessarily talking about the athletes or, or the, the coaches, or organizations, but even the practitioners. Why do you want to uh, why do you want to uh, to use the data? If it's just to see, as Chris was talking about, if it's just to see how many miles he ran during you know, practice, who cares? What are you going to do with that? Yeah, exactly. And how is that? How is that going to help him? Go ahead, Marco. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Exactly. Uh, I mean. Or you were saying that we need data just to inform our decision because that's that's why we're there. I mean, to take decisions on how to to improve uh, teams and others. So it's not just about trying to monitor all the variables that you can because obviously you get confused. But you need to understand like what are like the let's say the more optimal variables that can help the, the others improve, or maybe the staff understand what's going on, because we know that the technical and tactical sides, um, the coaching staff, most of the times, they're not very knowledge about uh, our GPS work, for example. So you need to, to understand what's the best way to communicate with them, because you're not the one who's, who will take decision about training, but obviously by the end of the day, is the head coach. So if you can inform him in the best way possible, uh, make him aware of what happens at pitch, then obviously you're giving him the tools to make the best decision possible. Uh, that's why we're there. Uh, exactly. That's that is exactly why we're there. And and just to just to be uh, upfront and throw this out there is you know we don't expect as a profession technical and tactical coaches to know everything that we know. We don't expect them to. Uh, by the same token, uh, and in the reverse, they shouldn't expect us to to understand exactly what's going on on the pitch. If you've been around enough, you can see you're not the technical or tactical coach, or you'd be on the other side of the the, the white line or the weight room. However, you should have a, a, a rudimentary understanding of, of, of what they want. And then it's all about uh, communication, again, those soft skills being able to talk to those coaches, being able to work together. And the coach, you know, says, uh, you know, hey, Marco's looking a little sluggish. What do you think? What do you think's going on with it? Well, let me let me check some things out here, coach, and I'll get back to you. You go check, okay, in practice he usually runs. I'm just going to throw a number out there. He usually runs 10 miles in practice. And he has uh, variable speeds, but optimum sprint speeds 15 or 20 times. And in the last couple of days, it's been, you know, nine miles and five times with the, the optimal. So you start asking questions and you go to the athlete, you tell the coach, hey, coach, this is what's going on. He's lacking. Looks like he's lacking a little bit of injury. I don't see any necessarily any uh, any movement issues or any injury 
So let me talk to him, and then we'll get to the bottom of why he's he's dragging a little bit. And it could could sometimes be the fact that they just played two games that week, and it's Friday, and the session is kind of extra hard, and everybody's dragging. Or it could be his nutrition, or it could be that he's not resting. He's not resting well. There's all kind of variable variables it could be and things that we can do to check out you know what it is and then get back to the coach the coach doesn't need all that what the coach needs to know is hey yep he is dragging uh this is what i see i'll get back to you with the reasons and a possible or probable uh you know solution and then and then we go from there all right as we get to this point all the time we start to wrap up we kind of give you the the floor one of the things I wanted you to, to kind of address here as we go out the door is um, how do you feel about research and does research inform practice or does practice initiate research? <laughs> One billionaire uh, question. Like uh, <laughs> it's very hard because, you know, we obviously I think that research starts from what happens on the pitch or on practice because otherwise which question would you ask yourself if you don't know the sports? So obviously the first thing is to observe uh, the requirement of the sports. And then we use the lab, let's say, to to try to isolate just one variable and see how to improve that. So obviously start from the sporting practice and then we bring that uh, on research. But then the, also the other way around, because we know that what we do in research often doesn't translate to the pitch because during your research, yes, you can isolate one variable and just look how it's develop, right. developing over time. But when you do that uh, in a team situation, I mean, it's so chaotic that you you can't do that. So we need to be very good to filter what we read in research and try to understand again the transfer that of this information to your coaching style or, or what you do on the pitch. I agree with you. And yes, I like to ask that question because I like to hear the number of answers from from young guys like yourself and, and and other professionals in the field when you're talking about, say, nutrition, physio, you know, all that, because we, we have some different feelings on which one is most important when. So is research most important or is, is, is what you learn on practice most important or in practice most important? So I think that's a question you'll hear uh, along the way as if you listen to the podcast, which we we hope you will continue to listen after your show. But uh, we'll continue to ask that as a as something that, you know, maybe we just get the, the feel for everybody that we talk to in the profession uh, that touches athletes and that. So with that said, like I said, we have uh, we have spots that we plug in that we don't necessarily record here. So we are. At the end of today, we have enjoyed talking to you, Marco. We know our audience is going to look forward to to hearing what you have to say and getting a perspective that we haven't had in a while. That's a good thing. And we would like to encourage you to, uh, you know, keep up with us. Let us know what's going on with you and uh, that kind of thing. Um, Do you have any last words? What is one last thing that if you had one more thing to say in the world and you wanted somebody to know about this profession or your career or this sport or the sport you work with, what is it? 
I guess be very, very, very critical with yourself. I mean, that's the most important thing. If you can analyze uh, what you've done every day and the way you did that, then you you can understand how you can improve. Because if you improve as a coach, then imagine like all the others you train, how, e- how much easier it is to improve them. So be very critical. Don't be afraid of being judged from the other, but take all the feedback you can and try to improve yourself. Hey, some great advice from from Marco. Chris, we're at the end of the show. You know, what do you, what do you have on your mind? Welcome back, by the way, again. And um, any last words? Yeah, thank you, Marco, for <clears throat> joining us today. You will thank you for carrying the load yesterday. I should say yesterday, but last week. You are listening to Performance Talk with Ewell Gordon and Chris Costa. Today's guest was happily Marco Canalintas. And we are out. We'll see you soon. That's it for another episode of Performance Talk. Come back next time as Yule and Chris welcome their next guest to the show to discuss what's going on in performance. For sponsorship information, or if you would like to be part of the show, leave your inquiry at theperformancetalk at gmail.com. That's theperformancetalk at gmail.com. Be sure to check in for future episodes of Performance Talk. Performance Talk.